First of all, I just want to mention that I am fighting off my annual in, uh, sinus infection. So I've got a pocket full of cough drops, a cup of water. I have ingested cough medicine. I have prayed. I need you to maybe also suffer with me uh, some this morning. Uh, we are daily surrounded and inundated by news, events that happen around the world uh, ping and show up in our pockets mere seconds after they happen. Businesses today make a, a lot of money off of advertising around news. Uh, the more salacious the news story, the more shares, the more clicks, the more money from advertising. How do you feel about news? How do you feel about getting some more news this morning? Do you read the news often? Do you pay and subscribe to news? I still get a Wall Street Journal every Saturday morning in paper at my house. Maybe you've just disconnected yourself from news entirely. I think this is fair. This is kind of my sense of how we respond to the news today. One of three things. One, as I heard a journalist say this week, we are addicted to panic. Panic. If it's panicky, if it's really bad and salacious, we love it. Keep feeding us more panic and we'll keep reading it and buy it. Or maybe your response to news is, as we mentioned, stick your head in the sand. I don't want to hear any more news. I don't want to read any news. I don't want to hear any. I don't want to watch the news. I don't subscribe to the news. I don't pay for news. I try to avoid, if I see news on social media, I just keep scrolling. Or maybe you have limited yourself to good news. But I think you'll find in our news outlets today that good news has been boiled down and reduced to sentimentality. There's all the bad news on the front page, but good news. 27 firefighters saved a puppy from a ditch. And it's kind of like, well, I don't, I'm just not convinced that that good news really is a balance to the 47 pages of political turmoil and, and global strife and poverty and, and everything that you have been giving us and selling us. We seem to be a people today when it comes to news who are overwhelmed with panic-driven, fear-mongering, clickbait, bad news. And we are a people who are severely underwhelmed with what actually gets called good news. So, as your pastor, and as a preacher of the gospel, what we call good news, and one of the things we need to stop and look at today in our scriptures, what Luke is telling us, is there actually is such a thing as good news. There actually is such a thing as news, which is truly, really, eternally, spiritually good that's what we find in Luke chapter 2. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time to come and hear your word preached, to sing your word back to you, 
to pray your promises back to you in faith. Father, you know all the ways that our hearts need conviction. We need to repent, turn away from sins of commission, sins of omission, things we refuse to do, things we are doing in sin. Help us to repent and seek forgiveness for those this morning. And you know our hearts, God. You know ways that we have been in faithfulness, but we are weak, we are low, and we need strength. Would you help us in those ways? May your word have its effect on us now, this moment, as we open it, preach it, hear it, for our increased joy and for your increased glory on the earth. In Christ's name, amen. The first thing that I want us to see in the book of Luke this morning, what I think is of first importance to Luke in his gospel, is that the news that he has to share, the news of Jesus Christ is true. It's true. Luke, more than any other gospel is gospel writer, is a journalist. He gives the details and the feelings and the images and the characters. This is how and right why he wrote his gospel. Go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and see how Luke begins his gospel, which we're going to get to our text today, Luke 2. Inasmuch as many have undertaken and to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke and the rest of the Bible is not in the same lane as the rest of the news in the world. It is entirely only the Word of God true historically and in its meaning. This is the claim of the apostles in the New Testament, for example. Peter says when he writes in 2 Peter, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John says it this way in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest among us. If Christmas, Tim Keller puts it this way, if Christmas is just a nice legend, in a sense, you are on your own. Mankind is on its own. But if Christmas is true, then you can be saved by grace. I just wonder, have you meditated on the reality of the events of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection? That it is actually news, not a fable. That it is true, not a fairy tale. Or is it sufficient for you in Christmas season or, or Easter or any time of year for the gospel, for the truth of Jesus to be a sweet, kind, nice, warm, fireside story? 
It doesn't mean anything if it is only a heartwarming account of a baby born in a barn. It doesn't mean anything. The the warmth that it actually brings is actually deceiving because it's meaningless. It's just a story. What makes the good news good first and foremost is that it is true. We saw it. We touched it. It happened. It's a real woman giving birth to a real boy. It is, it must be to be good for us, a story about truth. Truth, as truly as you and I are here in flesh and blood, Jesus was born of a woman in flesh and blood. Or it is useless to us. It might warm us for a moment, give us some feelings, but it is useless if it's not true. On day 11, yesterday in our Advent readings, if you're reading along in the Good News Great Joy Advent, you would have read Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Since the ones he was trying to save are in flesh, he came into flesh to defeat death that comes to our souls and to our flesh. There is a significant eternal difference between good news and nice stories. What Luke is communicating to us, beginning in Luke 1, all through his gospel, that which the angels shared in Luke 2 is that this good news is good because and only if it is true. I wonder if you're here today, you're questioning in your own mind... Maybe, maybe Christmas is just a Western holiday that, that benefits Macy's. It kind of, you know, it, it's been created and recreated and twisted by, it's for Hallmark. How, I mean, what other story could we get so many Christmas movies out of? But it's true. Or it's meaningless. It's not just a good story of poverty and humility and kindness and and, and the little people making it in the end. It's actually true. It actually happened. If you're you're doubting whether or not this actually happened, let me just encourage you to keep asking more questions. Ask more questions about the Bible. Ask more questions about what is actually true in the world. Ask more questions about what is really reliable source for history. Ask more questions. What is Christmas about? Where did Christmas come from? What does it mean? What is Luke 2 actually? Keep asking more questions. Christians, when you are sharing the gospel with other people, and I hope and assume that you are thinking and convicted to share the gospel with other people, we ought not to ever be afraid of questions. That's that's like someone teeing the gospel ball up for us. That's a golf term, by the way. It means you get to hit it, in, okay, or baseball maybe. It means it's easier. We love questions. Ask more questions. I wish you would ask more questions about why the Bible is reliable, why this is true, and what it means if it's true. Ask more questions. This gospel, this good news, is good because it's true, and it's only good if it's true. 
what makes it good. If it's true, what makes it good? Not all true news is good. Maybe you've gotten bad news from the doctor. Maybe you've seen bad news about war. Maybe you've heard bad news about Crimea and the Ukraine. Maybe you've heard bad news about inflation, the economy. Maybe you got, you know, you go to the ATM, you get bad news. What makes it good? Luke chapter 2, verse 11, our main focus for most of our time this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, as Marilyn read for us, these angels appear to Israelite shepherds in the hillside. And the central meaning of their announcement is this, chapter 2, verse 11. What makes news good? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is fundamentally the center of the angelic announcement. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In this sentence, really, is wrapped up all the hopes, all the dreams, all the longings from the Old Testament, the people of Israel. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I don't know if there are many words in Scripture which are at once so familiar to us in the West because of Christmas, and yet so foreign to us in meaning. The city of David. The city of David is that place geographically where Micah, for example, the prophet, predicted that Jesus was going to be born. But it's not just about geographic accuracy. That's not the main point of the city of David. Where is Jesus going to be born? Oh, found it on the map. No, the point is that he's coming from David. This is such a powerful, known expectation that to claim that someone was, from, was the Christ himself and him not be from Bethlehem would be a reason to get you arrested and disbelieve. If you say that they're the Christ and you're not from Bethlehem, that's a problem because everybody knows, everyone in Israel knows that the Christ is going to come. He's going to come from Bethlehem, from David and his people. This is actually an argument in chapter 7 of the book of John. When they heard the words that Jesus was teaching about living water being offered by himself. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. But listen to what happened. Others said, this is the Christ. That's an important word in our text in Luke 2. This is the Christ. They said, Jesus is the Christ. But some said, listen, some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Because that's where Jesus was known to have grown up. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. I don't know if you caught that, but there's a group of people going, Jesus can't be the Christ because Jesus is from Bethlehem, and, or Jesus is from Galilee, and everybody knows that the Christ is going to be from Bethlehem. Do you catch the irony? 
He is from Bethlehem. That's where he was born. He's born in the city of David. He is actually a son and heir of David himself. Everyone knew, duh, that the Christ was going to come from Bethlehem. So much so that they wanted Jesus arrested. They didn't think he was from Bethlehem. All this is pointing to the fact that this child, he, he either is the new messianic Davidic king the Old Testament has been pointing towards to come and save God's people, or he should be arrested for claiming to be Israel's king. He's born in the city of David, and he is a savior. This child is called a savior, a Greek word, a soter. This is the word that we get our big 10 cent theology word from, soteriology, or the study of salvation. The soter is not the first doctrine or principle or, or a system. It's not first an argument about salvation. The soter in scripture is a child himself, a man himself. The salvation in the New Testament is not a belief system. It's a person, a soter, a savior. Good news is that there is a savior. I hope that you're reading through your Advent book and your devotion time by yourself or with your family. If not, there are a few more. Grab them, catch up. They're so small. You could read them all this evening and catch up to day 12 today. The very first day of the Advent reading was striking to me. One of the first things that Piper shared in commentary on the book of Luke was, Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight. Just let that sink in. Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight. If you don't need a savior, he says, you don't need Christmas. Christmas will not have its intended effect until we feel desperately the need for a savior. You might be asking yourself, well, what do we need saving from? What, what do I need saving? My life's pretty good. I got a job, got a car, got a house, got a dog. What do I need saving from? The answer is all the things. I mean, just everything. At the time, in Luke chapter 2, the people of a God are oppressed and they need saving from their enemies. This has been the same from Moses and Abraham forward. People of God need saving from their enemies. And we need saving from our sin. Our sin makes us enemies with God. We need to be saved from our own anger. We need to be saved from, from our own gross addiction to sexuality, our own lust, our own greed, our own shame. We need saving from the earth because the earth too is corrupt by sin and is now groaning, waiting for the recreation. We need saving from the kind of world where tornadoes sweep through the night unexpectedly like they did Friday night. We need saving from the judgment to come when we stand before God and we are judged according to all of the works that we have done in our lives. We need saving from sin and judgment from the effects of sin in the world. God's people need saving from their enemies. We need salvation at every turn. We begin this morning talking about being addicted to panic and, quote, good news. This news first is reason for panic. You need a savior. You're actually drowning. You're actually dead. You're actually squarely in God's judgment if you are a sinner. All you have to do is look back to some point between now and this morning to discover I've got sin in my life. Only when we realize this, only when we realize that we need a savior in the world, 
to save us from sin and death and Satan and from our judgment that we deserve, only then will we realize that Jesus being born in the city of David as a Savior is good news for us. What kind of Savior? What kind of Savior could it be? Another king like the rest of the kings in the line of David? I sure hope not. David actually had lots of sons and grandsons and generations. He had Solomon who had Rehoboam. David had a grandson named Abijah, then Asa, then Jehoshaphat, and all down Judah's line. There are a lot of sons of David. The problem with all of those other sons is that none of them could save. They could do battle for a little while. Even David himself could do some battle for a little while. But no one, no son of David could really rout God's enemies forever and give eternal peace. No son of David, no king of David in his line until Jesus could actually take away sin from mankind. No, no son of David has ever, until Christ, promised and been able to bring about a new creation by raising from the dead. Jesus is a savior in every sense. Essentially, by his death on the cross, Jesus would defeat the greatest of enemies, sin and death. Jesus' blood sacrificed on the cross, this baby born to be a king, this baby born to die, one of my favorite songs by Bebo Norman, a baby born to die. When he died on the cross, his blood would be the means of redemption and the forgiveness of sin. His resurrection would be the beginning of the making of all things new. So that any who believes in Jesus Christ, any who trust in this king, any who trust in this baby who was born a king, trusting his death on the cross was for our sin, he becomes effectively for you forever your savior. He is the savior, but he only saves us if we confess our sin. We put our trust and faith in him. We submit to him as Lord and King, as the Son of God, crucified for our sin and raised from the dead. Friends, Christmas is a reason for panic and sleepless nights if you reject the King. If Christmas is warming to you, and if you watch A Wonderful Life and it's a warming experience, and the Christmas lights are a warming experience, but Jesus does not actually cover your sin by your faith in him, Christmas remains an indictment, not a reason for delight. Jesus is truly the Savior in every sense, boiled down into one person, which is the meaning of the term, the Christ. Christ. In the city of David, a Savior, Christ. Christ is the Greek word for Hebrew Messiah. Christ is it's a title. It's, it's not Jesus' middle name. And Jesus never got in trouble, but if he did, it wasn't like Mary was going to yell out Jesus Christ as if that was his middle name. Luke is telling us in this phrase that Jesus is the one. The angel's announcement here is telling the shepherds, telling the world, this is the one Israel has been wanting and waiting for. A prophet like Moses, a king like David, a sacrifice like the lamb at Passover. All in one all in one anointed person, all in Christ, in Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord, 
This can mean, generally speaking, the term Lord means, generally speaking, a term of authority and rule. To be Lord is to rule. When you are in your Bible study software, when you click on the word Lord, you might very well be taken to a study of the word God. That's what's going to come up. The Lord God is a common phrase in the New Testament. The word Lord is most often a reference to God himself in the New Testament. In fact, you can see how Luke describes God's ministry in the rest of the passage through lordship terms. Luke in chapter 2, go back a few verses to chapter 2, verse 9. What kind of angel is this that's showing up? It's an angel of the Lord, an angel from God, surrounded by the glory of the Lord, the glory of God. Chapter 2, verse 15, the shepherds make known the news which the Lord made known to us. The Lord, God, made known to us. Chapter 2, verse 22, they presented Jesus on the day of his purification. They presented him to the Lord, to God. The word Lord is synonymous with God all through Luke chapter 2. And watch what happens when the word Christ and Lord are switched around. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon sees the Lord, sees him. He proclaims that he can finally die because he'd been given a vision that he wasn't going to die until he saw the Lord, until he saw Christ. And look how Simeon says it. Look how Luke says it in Luke chapter 2 verse 26. It had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death. Look how he uses the word Lord and Christ before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Curiosus Christos, until he had seen God's Christ. Now Simeon is permitted to die because he's seen God's Christ, the one, the anointed Messiah. There was no confusion that they were expecting a Christ. There was a little confusion about who God was in Israel. But that there would ever be a phrase, Christ the Lord, strung together in that order, was a bit of a shocker. It's like saying the phrase all the way out, Christ the Lord God, Christ as God himself, Emmanuel has come, God is with us. Born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, God himself, come as his son in the form of man to be born in flesh, to die for sinners. It's true, good news. And this good, true news is glorious news from heaven. This is news from another realm. The angels appearing is like angels walking through the wardrobe into Narnia. Angels appearing is like passing through the Stargate. I don't know, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. It's a movie, I don't, it's like back in the 90s, I think. Angels are these inter-realm messengers passing from heaven, appearing in earth. They don't, they don't take the train to earth. They appear into earth. This is part of what shows us this news is not ordinary news. This is not C-SPAN. I know that's not ordinary news to some of you either, but I'm just saying. This is not like your daily news. This is heaven's headline. 
is heaven's news to earth. Angels are swirling around Jesus' life from the beginning to the end and into eternity. When Jesus is born, angels make the announcement. When Jesus moves from city to city as a boy in order to fulfill scripture so that he's both from Bethlehem and Galilee, it's because an angel gave Joseph a vision. After his temptation in Matthew 4, when the devil left him, angels come to minister to Jesus. When Peter tried to stop Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus, being very aware of his authority, said to Peter, Do you not think that I could call down more than 12,000 angels? And that's just a thought Jesus had in his mind on a regular basis. What are we doing today? I don't know. I could call down 12,000 angels and deal with this. Luke tells us that right after Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, committing himself to the cross by saying in prayer to God, not my will but yours, then appeared, Luke 24, 43, to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. When Jesus was resurrected from the grave, was it not angels sitting on the stone, angels standing in the tomb, telling his disciples that Jesus has risen from the grave, he's no longer here. Don't miss the importance of the angelic ministry to and around the life of Christ the Lord. This is not normal. Consider what it means by looking back in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. An angel, very early in the gospel of Luke, comes to a priest named Zechariah to tell him about Jesus' cousin, the forerunner, of the, the forerunning prophet to the Christ, John the Baptist. Zechariah is a priest. He gets called in to go do his priestly ministry and light the incense. He gets chosen. A lot is chosen for him to go in. Luke chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. <clears throat> gets water. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, this man, Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside in the hour of incense. Now, there's a lot of background here in, in this moment. There's garden implications. There's the presence of God implications in the temple. All that comes with the temple is in this moment. The sacrifice, the meaning of the incense. Here is Zechariah in the temple burning incense and an angel appears to him in the temple. And tells him, you're going to give, your wife, not you, your wife's going to give birth to John the Baptist. And John's going to make the way for Christ to come. Now watch this. Zechariah the priest while standing in the temple asked, how can I know these things? I'm old, my wife's old. Um, just tell me how I can know these things are so. How do I know this is true news? <clears throat> Look in Luke chapter 1 verse 19. Look how the angel responds. He responds in a way that gives us a clue to what it means when angels show up anywhere they go and anything they have to say. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to you to bring you this good news about your son and the son that your son is going to prophesy about, the Christ. Don't miss the angel's words. You are Zechariah standing in the temple. I am Gabriel. I stand where God dwells. And I have come to bring you good news. What does all this mean? The angelic accompaniment of the life and the ministry of Jesus is part of what makes it and proves it to be good news. 
The angelic messengers and ministers mean good news, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. It's not a human trick. It's not a man-made fable. It's, it's not good in a sentimental, kind, warm Christmas story kind of way. This means this is good news from heaven itself or it's no good. It's from heaven itself. It's surrounded with the glory and the messengers and the beings of God. The good news of Christ first burst onto the scene in Luke 1 and 2 through angelic other realm heavenly beings. And it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is heaven's headline to earth. Good news. There is in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord. Come and worship him. Come and worship him. This is begging us to come and worship Christ the Lord himself. One of my favorite songs also by Bebo Norman around Christmas. Angels from the realms of glory. Wings, your flight o'er the earth. Ye who sang creation's story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. When the angels appeared, Luke notes that the glory of the Lord, Kyrios, God, the authority, shone around them, and the shepherds were filled with great fear. The presence of the messengers of this news induce fear just by their being there before they even say anything. The glory of the Lord shining, being allowed to shine, brought to shine, told to shine, is heaven's way of saying, this is good, glorious, true, heaven-originated, sourced news. Believe in Jesus Christ, and as surely as you sit here in flesh and blood, you will be saved from your sins. He is the true Savior, Christ, Lord. It's good news. It's good news that if believed means Jesus becomes your Savior, saving you from the penalty of your sins, saving you from eternal death, forevermore. I think perhaps the most important application, the most important implication for all of us here today to consider is, do I believe this good news? Do I believe it? And not even is, do I believe it's good? Do I believe it's a good story? Do I, do I believe it sounds good? Do, do I believe that it's good in the nature that you describe? But do I believe that it is the true good news that saves me from, doesn't just warn me, doesn't just give me some good songs to sing 25 days a year, unless you're one of those other kind of people who play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. But I am actually spiritually different forever because of a baby born in the city of David, my Savior, Christ, my Lord. Believe, repent from sin, confess your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a Savior. This has some implications for us. Good news gets retold. 
Good news gets retold. Is there a distinction between how good the good news is and how much good news there is in your mouth? If the good news is really, 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 really good and glorious and from heaven and my Savior, and Christ, the Lord, and and angels are the one passing this word around from heaven to earth. But it's never in my mouth. I think we ought to wonder if it's in our hearts. Have I let other things crowd the space in my heart and my chest if the good news is never coming out of my mouth. It's Jesus himself who taught. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. What we find in the book of Acts, for example, is that this good news, it's always going somewhere. It's always getting retold. In fact, the point of Acts is not that you can't stop people that you can't stop the news from spreading. That's the last thing that Luke mentions about the shepherds. What did they do? Luke chapter 2, verse 20. Shepherds exit the scene this way. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, I'm just thinking that as Luke is a journalist, that it's not necessarily that someone interviewed the shepherds and said, so what did you guys do next? Well, we ran around praising God. Seems more likely they went around glorifying and praising God. They're telling people. They're singing their way back out to the farm. And people are going, what's up with them? They're happy. They're glorifying. They're praising. They look like they've seen something. Something's going on. The shepherds feared the angelical messengers. They heard the gospel. They loved it. They believed it. They told it. They praised God for it. Truly good news gets retold. Are you overcome by truly heavenly, glorious good news today? Or would you settle for a little sentimental good news? When I first came to Millwood, I preached my first few Christmases here. Some of you were here for this. You might even remember this. I think I spent a good portion of our time just railing on sentimentalism. Someone remember this? I'm not calling this. I don't know. And I do think that's a point of concern in our day and age. The older I get, however, the more I appreciate tradition, the more I appreciate routines, the more I appreciate things like Advent, the more I appreciate... Our family doing the same kind of Christmas shopping and the same day, the same people, the same budget, and the same just remembering and going through routines are good and helpful and bring back memories and cause us to bring up memories. But I remember one Sunday, I might have shared this before. One Sunday I was preaching around Christmas time and one of our elders came up to me in our office and said, are you okay? And I was like, good, man. I was like fired up. I'm like, yeah, I've just been preaching about how, you know, Santa's just Satan with the words moved around and stuff. Like, I'm all against Christmas, right? I don't know if I actually said that. That's my feeling, right? Like, it just. And he said, 
You just sound angry. You just sound angry. You sound more angry about Christmas than you do excited about Jesus. I thought, well, I thank God for this brother. <laughs> uh, I did not know such a thing. Yes, but now I, I see it. There's no reason to bash sentiment, sentiments for the sake of bashing sentiments. There's no reason to bash traditions that could be helpful. There's no reason to throw everything under the bus. All the, all, all, anything that's feeling for the sake of truth, Right? It's quite the opposite. That this true good news became glorifying and praising God. It, it bubbled into the biggest, strongest, deepest sentiment known to man, glorifying and praising God for everything they had seen and heard and everything that had been told them. They heard the good news. They heard it. And they praised God for it. They praise God for it. I don't want to spoil your feelings of home and warmth and all those things, but listen, there just isn't truly any good news in elf-on-the-shelf traditions or romance movies or presents that need batteries. There's nothing good there. But we also haven't got the true good thing of Christ if it hasn't come out of our mouths in praise and sharing and retelling the good news. It's kind of like James chapter 2. James chapter 2 is talking about the relation between faith and works. Romans chapter 4 answers the question, are we saved by works or are we saved by faith? Grace through faith. Romans 4 says we are not saved by works, we are saved by faith. Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. James chapter 2 is answering the question, how do we know if you have real faith or not? And James says, you tell me you have faith. You tell me you have faith, but I will show you my faith by my works. You tell me you have faith, put it in your mouth. It ought to be in our mouths. <clears throat> our belief, our affection, our sentiment about Christ boils into retelling the good news. <clears throat> the first episode of a channel on YouTube called Some Good News was hosted by actor John Krasinski. It aired on March 29th, 2020, just a few weeks after the beginning of the pandemic. And it began, welcome to SGN. What is SGN, he says? For years now, I've been wondering why there is not a new show dedicated entirely to good news. Now, anyone's listening to this is going, yeah, no kidding, thank you. Just, we can get some good news. John has landed on what we need, some good news. And he says, he continues on, he says, entirely dedicated to some good news, and now for some good news. And what a week it was for good news, because yes, without question, we are all going through an incredibly trying time, March 2020. But for all the anxiety, through all the confusion, all the isolation, all the Tiger King, he says, Somehow, the human spirit found a way to blow us all away. From there, Krasinski goes on to share about nurses during COVID, which is an incredible thing to consider. Marriage engagements ruined but kept by, in the spite of COVID. Husbands singing through windows to their spouses in the hospital. Memories shared from his television show, show The Office, with Steve Carell. 
And it's good. It is good. I watch that and I think, that's, that's good. People getting engaged, that's great. People going to Paris, that's great. A husband singing through the window with his wife who has COVID in a, in a hospital, that's great, it's good. But I think we all know deep down it's not the kind of good we really need. It's not the good that answers our deep problems. It's not the good that answers what happens to that wife in the hospital when she dies. It doesn't answer that question. It's not that good. To me, some good news, which was reported to be bought by CBS News, which wouldn't that be ironic? CBS buying the only some good news out there and throwing it, sucking it into all the regular news. It wasn't, though. It wasn't sold to CBS. It just stopped. The last episode was December 20th, 2020. To me, this is a tale which exemplifies the best news that men can give each other. We can make some episodes about Broadway being rehearsed and shown on Zoom, about missed prom nights being made up on Zoom, about shelter animals being given away and adopted. The truly good news doesn't even come from the earth. It doesn't originate with mankind. Mankind isn't the savior in a world full of bad news. Sentiment alone doesn't actually fix problems of sin and death in our relationship with God. It doesn't even save us from anything except boredom. It does not leave us. Truly good news does not leave us in the panic of hopeless bad news on the one hand, but it does not try to fix the deep human problems that we actually feel and suffer every day with cute stories and humble scenes. The truly good news is the good news of a baby born in the city of David, the Savior, Christ, the Lord. The truly good news of the world has heaven as its source, angels as its messengers, and the Savior, Christ the Lord, as its content. That news has been going and going and going and going to nations all over the world for 2,000 years. And the Bible tells us God has promised it is unstoppable. You can't even stop this news. This is not even good news that we're glad we found. You can't stop it unless you close your mouth. Unless we close our mouths. I wonder if the good news were dependent upon you sharing the good news. Would the good news continue to spread? Do your coworkers know the news? Your coworkers have heaven's news. Your family at Christmas, they've got CNN. They can subscribe to Apple Plus News. They can read Wall Street Journal. Who's going to tell them about the Savior, Christ? The Lord. Sentiment is not all we have for good news. There's truly good news for our hearts. There's truly good news for every sinner. There should be good news in our mouths. Tell someone. Is it true? Is it good? Is it from heaven? Is it glorious to you? Has it hit my heart? Let it come out. Sing it. Tell it. Share it. Well, yeah, I think it's really good news. Who'd you tell? I can promise you this. Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl this year. You guys are going to hear about it so much. (laughs) 
Who cares about that? Tell the good news. Isaiah 52, 7 says this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for Luke chapter 2. Thank you for Luke's ministry to us and researching and recording and transmitting the good news of the gospel to us. Father, if any of us are here today, we're just wondering, we're teething, we're back and forth. We pray that by your spirit, you would just enlighten, that you would turn on, that you would regenerate faith, that we would look at Christ and go, that's not just a good, warm Christmas story, but someone might hear leave today going, that's true, good news. For my soul and for me, having a right relationship with you, a holy God. If that's you and you're thinking about that and you're praying about that even just now, friends, there's nothing to do but to trust Christ in your heart and pray those things back to God today. As we're in prayer right now, you can confess your sin, trust that Jesus is the Savior, that he is Christ the Lord born, crucified for sinners like me and you, that through his blood we can have a redeemed relationship with God again. <coughs> Maybe today, Father, we would just come to you and just confess our busyness about many things and our affections about many things. And we just confess we've had low affections about the best news in the world. Would you help us by your spirit, by this preaching, by our singing today? <coughs> Be convicted and have affections that are high according to the glory of the Lord that's shown around these angels. That's fitting for this news. Help us by your spirit and by conviction put the news that we've heard in our ears and our mouths. Let us enjoy it in our hearts and singing and telling. Father, we love you. We come to you and pray all these things in Jesus' name alone. Amen.